Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. Amen. So my husband, when I was getting ready to leave this morning, he said, I'll give you 30 seconds before you cry. And so if you know me, I cry, but I cry about things that I'm passionate about. Look, already, see that? Not even 30 seconds, probably. But if you would ask me four years ago if I'd be standing before you on behalf of the pro-life movement, I probably would have laughed in your face and just said, it's not a passion, it's not my heart, and moving on. But isn't God funny? (laughs) Never thought that this would be part of my story. And I never thought that I would be executive director of a pro-life organization that fights for the unborn, educates students and inmates on making healthy choices, and helps restore the broken at the maternity home. But if you were here last week, part of my story actually starts with Pastor Mike. So if you were here and got to sit under him teaching last week, he's been part of our family for a long time. We've known him for a few years. Um, In about 2013, something happened that was part of my story on how I got here. We were at Thirst Youth Convention. He was a speaker for the weekend, and Pete and I were there um, to volunteer and be with the youth. And on Saturday morning, he walked out to me. He said, I have a word from the Lord for you. And I said, okay. It never really happened to me before. He said, you're going to be leading on some platforms that you never thought that you'd be leading on. And you don't feel that you're ready for it, but you are. So don't shut out the different options that God has before you. Because he feels like it's going to deal with women. And here I am. So I held on to that word because I really wasn't sure what that looked like. When somebody does that, you kind of, okay, all right, Lord, I hear you. I wrote it in my journal. Had no idea what that was going to look like for me. But little did I know that a year later, our family moved here to Butler. I got a new job at Life Choices, and we're worshiping here at North Main. It really just helped me to not put God in a box, because I think it's very easy for us to do that. I had a direction in my mind. I, you know, you, Proverbs 16:9 says, you know, I make plans, but the Lord determines my steps. I had all the plans made. I, I knew what I was going to be doing, and it wasn't this. But in 2014, Started working as executive assistant at Life Choices, not knowing that God's greater plan was to move me into executive director. And for those that were with me along that journey, Christy, all the tears crying, saying, I can't do this. But isn't that just like God? I had this whole list of reasons why I can't. But he said, yes, you can All I need is a willing heart, and let me do the rest. And so here I am, four years later, leading a great team, but also being on the front lines of what it really means to save lives 
from abortion, but also to see that every life is valued. So I don't know if you know this, for some of you that are fairly new, you have quite a few staff members from Life Choices that attend here. And so I'm gonna call them out, just real quick. So Christy Pittman, please stand. <laughs> Christy Pittman is our housing coordinator. You can sit, go ahead. Joey Vegerano is our development, or donor relations. Donor relations. BJ, is he in here? BJ Hyatt, he is our educator. All right, BJ, he's not here. Rika Wilson, if she's here. No, she's our, huh? Oh, she is one of our clinic directors in Catanning. Um, and then Mary Forbes is on staff at the maternity home. And Rachel Wilson, I see you over there. She's one of our volunteers at the maternity home that just came on board with us. And if you have been with us through the journey of the maternity home, you know a special family, Val and Jim, even though Jim makes fun of me for crying all the time, Val and Jim had just transitioned out <laughs> as house parents. <clears throat> so they fulfilled a two-year commitment with us, um, really just living life with the broken. These were girls that are pregnant, that need a second chance, that need help, and they did a great job can't look at you. <laughs> they did a great job. So here I am before you, not only as a member of this congregation, but also somebody that believes wholeheartedly in life. And I believe in life abundant. So abortion has always been one of those hot topic conversations. When you talk about it, it usually raises strong emotions on either side, either for it or against it. If you remember last year, January 2019, there was something that happened that kind of changed what the pro-life movement looked like. So I want you to watch a short video so you can be reminded of what happened last year. Today we find it the center of a gathering storm as women and men argue the question of abortion, the right to life or the woman's right to choose. Good evening. In a landmark ruling, the Supreme Court today legalized abortions. The majority in cases from Texas and Georgia said that the decision to end a pregnancy during the first three months belongs to the woman and her doctor, not the government. The woman is about to give birth. She has physical signs of, of, that she is about to give a birth. Would that still be a point at which she could request an abortion if she was so certified? She's dilating. Mr. Chairman, that would be a, you know, a decision that the doctor, the physician, and the woman I would understand make that. that. I'm asking point. if your bill allows that. My bill would allow that, yes. The infant would be delivered. Uh, the infant would be kept comfortable. Uh, the infant would be resuscitated if, if that's what the uh, mother and the family desired. And then a discussion would ensue between the physicians and the mothers. We found out that, that, that our governor is willing basically to embrace the notion that if a child is born alive, you actually just keep the child comfortable while you discuss how or whether to allow it to die. 
Now to developing news out of Albany about reproductive rights here in the Empire State. The state legislature has passed the Reproductive Health Act. Governor Cuomo moving quickly to sign this into law tonight. This is part of his administration's push to make sure women here in New York keep their right to control their own bodies in case the Supreme Court ever overturns Roe versus Wade. New law would also allow physician assistance to perform abortions here in New York. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo lit up the One World Trade Center spire in pink to celebrate his radical expansion of abortion in New York. On the 46th anniversary of Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court decision that legalized abortion nationwide, state lawmakers in New York approved a law permitting abortion in the state for any reason until the 24th week of pregnancy and then up until birth to protect, quote, the life and health of the mother. Governor Cuomo celebrated the passing of the bill saying, quote, in the face of a federal government intent on rolling back Roe v. Wade and women's reproductive rights, we got it done, unquote. And he wanted the One World Trade Center to shine pink to, quote, shine a bright light forward for the rest of the nation to follow. Does that make you angry? Yeah, it makes me angry too. It makes us at Life Choices angry. The question is not whether or not we're angry. It's are we angry at the right thing? Is our anger motivating us to do something? We gotta make sure that we don't take our anger and be destructive, but take our anger and be productive. My question for you to think about is, what are you doing that is valuing life? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Today we find. So what happened with New York is they had a law in place and they basically removed all of the restrictions on what it looks like for in the health of a mother. So what that now means is it could be emotional health, psychological health, physical health, when it's proven that there's really no reason to ever have to abort a child due to health of a mother, but rather be delivered. So it really comes back to abortion as a moral issue that we're dealing with. I just want to give you a few stats on abortion here in the United States. One in three women will have an abortion by the age of 45. More than half of the abortions are performed on women ages 20 to 24 years old. Since Roe v. Wade in 1973, there have been over 61 million abortions. Planned Parenthood alone contributes over 327,000 abortions per year. And when you break that down, that's 900 abortions per, per day. The United States averages 1 million abortions per year. But let's look at just Pennsylvania. So Pennsylvania has over 30,000 abortions alone per year. And Pennsylvania law allows a woman to have abortion from six weeks to 24 weeks. Legally, a legal abortion. So I don't know if you're visual like I am, but I want to show you what, this is a 22-week-old baby. You can't look at this and tell me it's not a baby. 
and we're saying it's okay to abort this child. But these stats are the reason that we do the work that we do. Because we believe that even if they made this decision and they followed through with abortion, it doesn't end there. There's healing, there's hope in Jesus Christ. We had one lady at our clinic that had been driving by probably multiple days in a row, deciding if she was gonna come in. She finally came in, she finally came in. And when she did, she told them she had been post-abortive for 30 years and never told anybody. 30 years she lived with that and never told a soul. Why is that? She went in for the abortion. She went in for the procedure and she left. They told her that it was not yet a baby, it was just a blob of tissue, and so it was okay. But the reality is that she aborted an eight-week-old baby. Abortion is most commonly for the sake of convenience. And doesn't our society, society serve the lower case G God of convenience so often? This reminded me, I'm not sure if you saw um, the actress Michelle Williams with her Golden Globe speech last week on abortion, that she had a previous abortion. Um, I'm just gonna read a little bit of what her speech entailed. It said, I'm grateful for the acknowledgement of the choices I've made and I'm also grateful to have lived in a moment in our society where choice exists. Because women and girls, things can happen to our bodies that are not our choice, she said. I've tried my very best to live a life of my own making and not just a series of events that happened to me, but one that I could stand back and look at and recognize my handwriting all over. Sometimes messy, sometimes careful and precise but one that I had carved with my own hand. And I wouldn't have been able to do this without employing a woman's right to choose. She went on to say to choose when to have my children and with whom, when I felt supported and able to balance our lives as all mothers know that the scales must and will tip towards our children. Now I know my choices might look different than yours, but thank God or whoever you pray to that we live in a country founded on the principles that I'm free to live by my faith and you're free to live by yours. So women, 18 to 118, when it's time to vote, please do so in your own self-interest. It's what men have been doing for years, which is why the world looks so much like them, but don't forget that we are the largest voting body in the country. Let's make it look more like us. And what's happening here is they make abortion just part of the norm now. I don't know about you, but growing up, I felt like I knew it was happening, but you don't really hear much about that. They don't advertise it or commercialize it like they do now, where now it's just common. It's common verbs, verbiage on the screen. You watch TV, they talk about it openly. But the, the abortion industry targets our young people. And so their goal is three to five abortions per girl by the time they hit 18. Okay, so let that just sink in for a minute. So whatever they are doing, starting in kindergarten, kindergarten, they are working towards that goal. 
to separate them from their families, to say, trust us instead of trusting your family. Don't go to your family and tell them what's going on. Just come to us. But we know what their true motive is, right? This is a true spiritual battle that we're facing. Just like Joey quoted scripture on the screen, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and isn't that just like him to start with our children? If he can start there, the family unit is disrupted, and then he has a stronghold in the family. My husband likes to always say, just 10 degrees off, because here's what God, God's word says, and this is what the enemy says. So one compromise after compromise, and now we're in this cycle that it's just common. It's just common. So I think about, even in the story of Adam and Eve, Pastor Brandon did a great job just setting the scene in Genesis 1 and 2 a couple weeks ago. And what did the enemy, or let's talk about what God said to Adam and Eve. He said, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. But what did the serpent say? He was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said, but did God really say? Did God really say that? The enemy whispers something that is just slightly off. And this is where we end up. Where Hollywood is shouting their abortions, knowing that it's my body, my choice. And that was never the intent that God had, that he created us by him, for him. And I'm honestly not even shocked anymore when we hear what's happening in society with the abortion industry. It just makes me scared for our kids and our young people. But we also serve a God that tells us not to be afraid, but to trust in him that he is sovereign, he is truth, and he is light. But that also requires something for me, that I can't just sit back and do nothing. I need to be speaking life over my kids, we need to speak in life over our young adults and over women that have previously had abortions, but also the teenager that is struggling with self-worth. We need to speak life. Proverbs 18:21 says, the tongue can bring life or death. So every word that we say has a consequence. So we're gonna start here this morning. I only have two points for you, I'm sorry, Brandon, I don't have three. Um, but our first point this morning, human life is unique in dignity, value, and worth. This is what sets us apart from the rest of the world. So we talk about Genesis 1:27. it said, God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And this passage does not imply that God is in human form, but that humans are in the image of God in their moral, spiritual, and intellectual essence. And then we look at Genesis 2 when he's talking about forming the man and the detail and the intimacy that it took for him to create man. But you can't tell me that he doesn't value life. There was a reason that he created. And then we all have God's fingerprint on us from the moment of conception. So let's look at Psalm 139. I'm going to read this from the message so it's up on the screen for you. This is Psalm 139, 13 to 16. It says, Oh yes, you shaped me first, inside then out. 
You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God, because you're breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit. How I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watch me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life all prepared before I even lived one day. And also in Jeremiah 1, 4 to 5, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I want you to listen to this description of a baby at 45 days after conception. This is before a woman even knows that she's pregnant. Though the embryo now weighs one thirtieth of an ounce, it has all the internal organs of the adult in various stages of development. It already has a little mouth with lips, an early tongue with buds for 20 teeth. Its sex and reproductive organs have already begun to sprout. By eight weeks, hands and feet are almost perfectly formed. By nine weeks, a child will bend fingers around an object placed in the palm. Fingernails are forming and the child is now sucking his thumb. The nine-week baby has already perfected the somersault, the backflip, and the scissor kick. The unborn responds to stimuli and may begin to feel pain. Yet abortions on this child at this stage is called an early abortion. By 10 weeks, the child squints, swallows, and frowns. By 11 weeks, he makes a wide variety of facial expressions and even smiles. And by 12 weeks, the child is kicking, turning his feet, curling and fanning his toes, making a fist, moving thumbs, bending wrists, and opening his mouth. And all of this happens in the first trimester, which is the first three months of life. In the remaining six months in the womb, nothing new develops or begins functioning. The fully intact child now just grows and matures, unless his or her life is lost to an abortion or miscarriage. When you hear all that, how can you not think of a God that's so intimately crafted and shaped each one of us? Just take a minute to think about a God that is willing to leave the glory of heaven to enter into what today could be considered the most dangerous place on earth, the womb of a frightened girl. So when we talk about the most common unexpected pregnancy, what do you think of in the Bible? Mary, right? The mother of Jesus. You know, Mary was probably about 12 to 14 years old, and a lot of times in our clinics, we see 14-year-olds, if you can believe that. And how easy it, it is for that 14-year-old to choose to go for an abortion rather than walk into the church and ask for help. In our clinics, we also see unmarried couples who are raised in the church who couldn't bear the thought of carrying the child because the reaction the parents would have or the reaction that their church would have, their support system. In their mind, the abortion could be hidden while the pregnancy can't. 
Approximately 70% of women who choose to have an abortion claim to be Christian. And that's true. We see it in our clinics all the time. They mark that they're Christian. I don't really know if they understand what that means. And 40% of women who choose abortion are regular church attenders. There's an average of nine days between a positive home pregnancy test until they schedule for an abortion and can go. That means we have a pretty good chance there's one Sunday in there that they may be coming into a church. And don't we want to be the church that offers the hope and the refuge that they need? That we love the most vulnerable in society? That she will receive the love and care that she needs as she walks through the most difficult time in her life? Statistically, one in four women sitting in our pews are post-abortive. So maybe you're here this morning and you are, and you've never told a soul. We want you to know that we're here for you. That God wants to restore you. My second point is, be pro-abundant life people. So we can talk about how God formed us. We can talk about the intimacy that he created us. But we also have to live it out. And so a lot of what we do in this ministry is living out that pro-abundant life philosophy. So if you turn in your Bibles with me, we're going to turn to Luke 10, 25 to 37. And we're going to talk about the parable of the good Samaritan. Excuse me. This is Luke 10, 25 to 37. It says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit, inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. And when he saw the man lying there, he crossed over to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine, wine and bandaged them. Then he took the man and his own donkey and took him to the inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. 
Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. The reality is a lot of the people that we minister to have a lot of deep wounds. They make fun of me at work because (laughs) we have what's called an ACE test, an ACE scale, that's what Christy says. Um, And it talks about trauma in your life um, from childhood on up and yours truly scored a zero. (laughs) Thank you, mom and dad. (laughs) A lot of the people that we minister to score off the chart of trauma that they've had in their life. It makes it challenging whenever you're ministering and loving them because they don't know how to love back the way that we can love. A lot of them have wounds that are deeper than we can even comprehend or understand. At times when I shadow in the clinic, I'm just in awe of this is the reality of their life. I've been very grateful that my life has not looked like that. But hasn't God called us to be the Samaritan? Hasn't he called us to go and bind up their wounds? Because we have to take an active role in their healing. A lot of times they don't know how to get out of the pit. They don't know how to change. They don't know how to get the help that they need. But that's our role, where we can step in and say, let me help you. So when we see this man, half naked, beat up, bleeding, laying on the side of the road, it's easier for me to move to the other side, isn't it? It's easier to move to the other side than to actually get my hands dirty and do something. So if I ask you this morning, you'd probably be on the same wavelength as I am. Probably saying, yeah, I would move to the other side. It's just easier that way. But following Jesus isn't comfortable. Following Jesus stretches us, as I'm here standing before you this morning. And at times it tells us that we just have to do it afraid. Because I don't know what to say or what to do, but God's going to work on my behalf and he's going to speak for me. I had this little thing pop in my head as I was driving, thinking about this. It said, stretching plus truth or stretching plus trust equals growth. If I'm never willing to let God stretch me, my, my trust in him's never gonna grow, and I'm never gonna grow in my walk with him. Because it's in those moments whenever I don't understand what to do, I don't know what to do, is when God shows himself to us even more. And if we wanna be Christ followers, don't we wanna be like him? We're made in his image. So if we want to be like him, then we need to do what he would do. Jesus healed the sick. He ate dinner with the sinners. He gave sight to the blind. And he loved the outcasts. And aren't we, aren't, aren't we to do the same? At Life Choices, our education team teaches to over 3,000 students and inmates a year. Here in Butler, alone in this community, we teach in the middle school, we teach in the high school, the Votech, and the Butler Prison. And one of my favorite things, and Joey's favorite thing, is getting the responses after we teach. And you know what the common theme is? They've never heard that they have value or worth before. Can you believe that? They've never heard it. Nobody's ever told them that. 
And a lot of times they say, it's new to me. I never thought that I had value or worth. They have so many negative voices speaking over them in their life that they've never felt that. And so what an opportunity we have to be able to speak life over them, not death. We've been reading through this book, it's called Visioneering by Andy Stanley. And it was perfect because this last chapter that we just read um, on Monday, it said, the power of vision. And it starts out with this quote. I think it's up on the screen. I don't know how to say the name, Christy. Whoever that person is, they're very smart. <laughs> I don't know how to say it. But it says, treat people as if they were what they ought to be and you help them become what they are capable of becoming. And I love that because he says, we are all vision casters. We cast visions for people all the time. It can be positive or negative. For example, a positive comment would be, honey, you can do whatever you set your mind to. Or a negative comment, you'll probably struggle with this for the rest of your life. Comments such as these shape one's picture of the future. Words point people in a direction. They plant mental seeds. Words can make or break a self-image. So in a way, we're all vision casters because every relationship has a potential, has a vision casting opportunity. So in our four medical clinics, we have one here in Butler County. God has given us the unique opportunity to be vision casters for our clients. It's the same thing that we see in the schools that we see in our clinics too. No value, they don't feel like they're worth anything. So they're doing everything they can to find that worth. And we get the opportunity to be that vision caster in their life. Saying God sees you, God knows you, God has value. In this past year, we saw 33 babies saved from abortion through our clinics. These appointments aren't easy. (laughs) These women are abortion determined when they come into the clinic. And so you may ask, how do I get them in the clinic if they're abortion determined and why don't they go to an abortion clinic? Well, we all, if they call and they ask if we perform abor- abortions, we say no. But please come in and let's just talk. We're your first step. Let's do an ultrasound. Let's make sure you're pregnant. And let's go from there. So that's how we get them in the door. But we also have an opportunity to con- continue to speak life into them while they're there. And so imagine just speaking to a frightened we'll say 17-year-old girl that hasn't told anybody that she's pregnant, has come to us and seen if she's actually pregnant. She took a home pregnancy test and it was positive, but she wants to just make sure. Can you put yourself in her mind for a minute? Because it's easy to judge. It's easy to look down on somebody I don't understand why she would do that, put herself in that situation.
she comes to us. We have the vision, or we have the opportunity to cast a vision over her life, saying you can do this. You're not alone. We'll walk with you. We'll help you however we can. And what that does is we sit knee to knee with these girls. It's pouring oil over their wounds, bandaging them up one word at a time. Jesus loves you. We love you. You're not by yourself. But we're here for you. I think of this also. I'm going to call out Val and Jim. There's lots of stories at the maternity home. But there were a couple that kind of came to my mind as I was preparing for this morning. If you know Val and Jim, or if you don't know them, you need to know them because they're pretty great. I remember one of our residents just really having a hard time on the floor, crying, didn't know what to do. And I remember Val saying, all I could do was just get on the floor, wrap my arms around her, and just cry with her. And isn't that what God is asking us to do? It's that picture of his arms wrapping around them whenever they feel so far from him. We get to aid in people's healing. So when I think about the maternity home, I think it's the inn, which we call it the inn maternity home, so it's convenient that it's called the inn in the Samaritan story. But we've had multiple women come straight out of prison that are pregnant and need a second chance. Most often, they're pretty beaten up. They're weary. They're broken. They have deep wounds. But our vision and heart behind the maternity home is not to only save the life of that unborn baby, but also to save the life of that woman. She needs our help, she needs our support. She needs her wounds wrapped. And we wanna be that person to do that. I love that part of the story in the Good Samaritan, it says that the Samaritan saw the man, and it made me think of Val different times. God would put her in a place where she would have to see one of the ladies that would be moving into the home. He opened up her eyes and just showed her, I need you to see this. And I love those stories because that talks about a God that cares so deeply for each one of us. And honestly, the maternity home is probably the hardest thing that we do, but at times it's the most rewarding because you have to see victory even in the small things. I see victory when we get to hold one of the babies at the maternity home. They had seven babies born under their care. And they never thought they would take this role because they weren't parents themselves. But how God 
He's funny. He's funny because they've been parents to seven babies. So I want to ask you this morning, who's God allowing you to see that's hurting, that's broken, that's wounded? And how can you aid in their healing, helping them find hope, freedom? I love, I was doing some study on the Samaritan story, and I love this kind of description, I guess. It said, the Samaritan does not ask whether the victim brought terrible or brought trouble upon himself. He simply stops to help. We tend to sort needy people into deserving and undeserving categories, which allows us to excuse ourselves from helping those who are not deserving. But Christianity, however, is about help for the undeserving. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Every life is valuable. Every life is worth fighting for. And he died that we can have life and have life abundant. I want to close this morning with this reading. Um, I guess it's writing one of our clinic directors wrote And she had shared it at staff meeting on Tuesday, and I thought it was just great. It just fit perfectly for this morning when we're talking about life. This is what she wrote. If we understood just how important we are to God, if we could fully understand what a gift we are to him, I think abortion would become unthinkable. We all have the same beginning. God takes notice and care of us in the womb, all the way up until we're face to face in eternity with him. Each moment counts. Each is held in his hands. We are irreplaceable in his house. If we could fully grasp that we are the, we'd be very careful to protect the lives of others. We would love and value others out of that realization. If we could just let ourselves grasp grasp the height and depth of his love for us, we would be so inspired to love everyone from the very beginning of their lives to the very end. No judgment, no stipulations, no expectations. We would protect at all costs and be able to deny personal judgment or individual circumstance as an excuse to hold back our care to collectively bring light and love to all. We'd be able to heal and see our situation soberly without fear. We'd be able to embrace the unexpected knowing that we are personally cared for by a steadfast God. We'd be loosed of shame and step into the freeing light of God's all-sufficient and tender-hearted mercy towards us in our trials. We'd be free enough to free others of their worries, concerns, and aid them in their solutions. We come together, we would step up and we wouldn't be so self-protective. We'd be happy to lay our lives down to big surprises and bundle everyone, big or small, who crossed our paths with the goodness we ourselves receive. 
We would see our Father's eyes and his smile as a banner over our lives and want everyone to know that love as well. Jesus was able to do this because he was completely secure in his Father's love. His mind was completely unstained by sin and he was selfless in everything he did. When we look at his life, not just as an example of how to love others, but how to walk in the connection and love of the Father. Out of this security, experience, and assurance of the Father's love and approval, we see that Jesus spent his life loving the least of these in society. He left the adulteress without condemnation. He valued children. He ate with sinners. He engaged the woman marred by chronic bleeding. He touched the leper, commanded the lame to get up and walk, forgave the criminal next to him on the cross and prayed for us that we would be united with him and other believers as closely as he is with the Father. He always had the wholeness, healing, and salvation of others on his mind and would go to great lengths to show us what it meant to love the unlovable. He valued everyone. He called normal, everyday people and commissioned them to follow his example. But it all stemmed from his confidence with who he was to his father. We need to believe who God says we are. And even if we can't, I would argue that we need to stop everything else and let ourselves be wholly convinced. Then only will we love beyond our own preferences and value everyone as important and worthy of protection and love. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we just quiet our hearts before you. That, Father, you would use these moments to just show us who we need to help. Show us where we need to reach out a hand and say, I'm here for you. That we don't cast judgment, but Lord, we be a place of refuge and hope, just pointing them to you. Father, we ask, Lord, that you would just unveil our eyes. That, Lord, we value every life, not only the life of the unborn, but every single life. So Father, stir up a passion in us that we want to see people come to a life abundant in you. God, we praise you, Lord. We thank you for caring for each one of us, every detail, knitting us together in our mother's womb care about each one of us so deeply. Father, we thank you for your gift of healing. We thank you for your gift of freedom. For loving the least of these. Help us to love the least of these. God, we love you and we praise you. In the name we ask you. Amen.
Thank you, Angela. As you stand, we're going to close in worship. But let me, let me just say this. I realize the sensitive and political nature of this topic. But rather than be a church that doesn't address the hard topics and take a stance, we want to take a stance. We don't want to go pick it. We want to go love. There are broken and hurting people. You may be one of those. You may be here this morning and be struggling because you're post-abortive or you know somebody who is. We want to offer an opportunity for you not to come and publicly give witness to that, but to come and pray or to come and pray for somebody else. If you need prayer or would like for us to pray along with you for somebody or yourself, you can come to my right, your left. There's an altar down here. You can find the beginning steps of healing for yourself or help somebody else find those beginning steps. If you just want to come pray alone, come to my left, your right. Again, we want to be a church who loves, who doesn't go with hatred, but who goes with this unconditional love and support, knowing that God is a God of healing and a God of hope. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.